0: Man, when you get to hear like two sermons in the same day, is, that, is it too much church or is it like just enough? Especially if it's like, like the growl, you know? If it's, a, it's a good day when you hear the growl from Chris. <laughs> I will never, like, I can't even try to do it, so I won't. Um, you know, today is, today is a good day. I, I'm going to say that a lot today, and uh, <laughs> it's why I'm wearing this shirt, actually, um thanks American Eagle but I think we can all agree that a shirt has very little to do with whether today is actually a good day or not right like is that okay so um and some of you would disagree with me you'd say ah you weren't in the car on the way to church today today is just okay or uh, today is not good at all And that's okay, like I I don't know where each of you are at on that spectrum, but I'm gonna challenge you. I believe today is a good day no matter how unhappy you are with it. Because today is an opportunity. Today is a good day because you woke up with air in your lungs and blood in your veins and synapses firing in your brain, all beyond your control, you don't even have to think about it, and you have a calling on your life far greater then you're willing to believe most of the time, and a God who loves you and is with you all of the time. Today's a good day for me personally because, I don't know, I, I love to preach, and I get to preach, and if you've seen me preach before, you know that I love to use my hands, and so we we thank God for face mics, but um, yes. well, this weight is kind of um it's, it's hindering me a little bit. But at least I, I have one hand free, so that's good. And it's not that heavy, so we should be okay. We're not, we're not going to worry about it right now. Um, if you've been coming to this church for more than a few weeks, you've probably heard somebody from stage or just in conversation uh, use a phrase like, or talking about like having a calling on their life or having a calling on your life or being called to do something. And so we're going to talk about that today as we wrap up our series on doubt, we're going to talk about the doubts that we experience that hinder us from pursuing our calling. Newsflash, every single one of you is called to something. Actually, several things, more than likely. And the New Testament, we see this word all over the place and I've always struggled with this. Well, I shouldn't say that. I struggle with this for most of my Christian life because this, this the way we talk about it in the church sometimes it just feels like felt to me personally like a more of a churchy thing or like a Christianese type of a concept than a biblical concept and I can assure you that I've since learned my lesson and it is in fact a very biblical concept and we're going to talk about that a lot today are you ready? Yeah. Okay so the, there's two meanings for this word in the New Testament in the Greek one of which literally translate, translates as divinely selected or appointed. That's what we're going to talk about today. Divinely selected or appointed. So what that means is, if, if you are called, and you are, if you're called, then that means that God has divinely selected or appointed you. He has specifically designed you as a human being, as a soul, and he's specifically designed something for you to do. That's your calling. That's the, we, we, we talk about having a lane to run in at this church. That's kind of how we talk about it. Your lane to run in, that's your calling. And you're supposed to follow through with that. But that's the trick, isn't it? The follow through. I've seen doubt completely disable brand new believers and lifelong believers from following through and pursuing their calling. Completely disable them. You know, I love what Kip said in week one about how none of us uh, were born believing in God. I love that because it's so stupidly obvious that we just don't consider it. And I love it when we say stupidly obvious things that we can obviously learn from (laughs) here, right? Um, And I think the exact same concept that Kip brought up, that applies to our calling too. None of us woke up born knowing exactly what, what our calling was. We were too young. Now some people do know what their calling is and they're sure of it from a very early age and that's, that's fine. And you may be here and you still may not know exactly what your calling is. That is also fine. You're in the right place. We can help you with that. Those of us that are secure in our calling today, would, we would all tell you it was a process. It was a process for me, and if I'm being honest, doubt has completely held me back sometimes from pursuing my calling over the last 12, 13, 14 years. And so for the next little bit of my sermon, I'm going to tell you some of the things that I went through, some of the doubts that I went through in pursuing my calling, and hopefully that can help you a little bit. And then after that, we're going to see what the Bible says about all that. We have to bring the Bible in at some point, right? I've never... I've never told this entire story to this many people. In fact, I don't know if any of you know the, the, as much of the story as I have right now. So this should be fun. You're going to learn a lot about me today. Hopefully that's okay. Um, I, started, I started playing piano when I was four years old. I took lessons for 12 years, and I was classically trained, which is another way of me saying, in my mind, that didn't really translate into leading worship. Okay. So it wasn't until about 7th grade, and mom and dad, if this story is inaccurate in terms of the timeline, just, just let it go. It's too, it's too long. It's a long time ago. Um, so it wasn't until about 7th grade that I became interested in leading worship, and it wasn't for piano. It was actually for those really cool guys playing guitar and singing on stage. And, and I, just looked, I would look up on stage, whether I knew those people or not, and I would think, man, that looks so fun. I wish I could do that. But that's impossible. I'll never be able to do that. I'm not joking. Playing guitar and singing at the same time seemed like magic to me. It did. It seemed like magic to me. It still kind of seems like magic to me. It's very complicated. It seemed like magic to me, and so I, th- and so I just knew, I knew that I could never do that. And it was weird because I wanted to do that really badly. And so I began to question... Well, what am I supposed to do? I was, again, I wasn't familiar with this concept of calling. I, just, I, I saw my parents serve a lot in church. I went to a church where everybody served. Some of them seemed to really enjoy themselves and others definitely did not enjoy themselves. And so my, so my goal, and I would, I, would, I would very much encourage you to pursue this same, similar goal here. I wanted to find something that I enjoyed doing, okay? I wanted to find something that I enjoyed doing and, I, and I, it wasn't music and the only other thing I did besides school and music was sports and there wasn't like a sports team at my church. Yeah, like softball and stuff is cool but like, okay, like there's got to be something more than that. So I didn't know what I was going to do and so I really struggled with this idea of, well gosh, what, what is my calling? What am I supposed to do? And yet with each passing weekend, with each passing weekend, that desire that interest became desire and that desire became an obsession to the point where there were times when it would physically hurt down in my, not, in my soul, down in my soul when I would look up and I would see people again. If I knew them or not, it did not make a difference. I would see other human beings, children of God, leading worship on stage and it would physically hurt down in my soul because i knew that was something i just i wanted to do it so badly and there was no way for me to do it there was just no way but it got to the point where it had enough and i decided look i gotta figure this out i gotta find out maybe this isn't for me but i need to find out so i'm gonna try and so my, my, my brother and I, mom will remember this very well, uh, my brother and I kinda started to pick up guitar on this cheap like garage sale, or maybe you got it from a friend, I don't know, it was like a $20, $50 guitar uh, type of thing. And it was like, I can say this now, um, like it was a terrible guitar, okay? And newsflash, for those of you that are thinking about getting your kids your guitars or something, awesome idea, get a cheap one, they will break it. You gotta get a cheap one first. Um, and it was—it it was. I mean, I guess it was okay. I mean, it just sounded really thin and weak, and like the action was really high. Um, like that's, <laughs> like that's how high the strings are off the fretboard, and if they're higher, you have to press down harder, and so your hand gets tired quicker. And anyway, the. <laughs> but. It stayed in tune pretty well. I love that God provided just enough for me to keep going. The guitar was terrible, but it stayed in tune pretty well. Sometimes that's all we need. Sometimes we just need something that will stay in tune pretty well. Sometimes all we need is to stay in tune with him. And so I fought through the frustration of developing new muscle memory in my hands and I fought through the pain of of stretching the joints in my fingers and the the knuckles in each of my fingers and I fought through the pain of developing calluses on my fingertips and it got to the point where you could sort of call me a guitar player. I could do it, but I wasn't very good. And around this time, man, these these weights really kind of get in the way of things. I need to be careful I don't destroy my iPad here. (laughs) It was around this time that Actually, July timeframe, 13 years ago, I got the opportunity to attend Student Leadership University in Orlando. Hands down, it's the best leadership conference for students in the world, in my opinion. There's just no, nothing comes close to it. It was amazing. The cool thing is, my youth pastor was able to use an anonymous donation from someone else in the church to send me and a couple of my friends to this conference. To this day, I still don't know who that person is. I might not find out until I get to heaven. But I could never thank that person enough. Because God used that little step of obedience, that little bit of faithfulness, that little gesture of generosity to change my life forever. You guys have no idea That person still probably doesn't have any idea the impact that they made on my life and the impact that my life is having on the rest of the kingdom by God's grace. And so what I'm trying to say is really quick little side sermon here. You have no idea the impact that your little steps of obedience will have on someone's life. That 30-second conversation you have at the drive-thru at Starbucks, you have no idea what that will do to someone's life 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road. You just don't know. Handing an invite to somebody at the mall. Maybe it's to come to church here. Maybe it's to go to a church at a different church. Maybe it's just to invite him to if table or something like that. You have no idea what saying hi to somebody can eventually lead to 20 or 30 years down the road. You don't know who's going to be in heaven when you get there. We need to be... Listening to the Holy Spirit and watching for opportunities and following through with them, regardless of what you think you're called to do—preach, lead worship, take care of the kids. Uh, well, that's what. It, uh, sorry, we do a lot. We do a lot more than take care of them here. I promise you, we do. I just—I'll never do it. So I, man, man, I've, I have enough. I have enough with one three-month-old. I'm, I'm good, and I'll lead worship and preach. I'm good. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Oh man! Uh, yep, I did it now. I did it. Um, anyway, okay. We'll probably have to film that too. Uh, but anyway, at the conference during one of those sessions, there was a time of worship, and I can had I had what can only be described as a vision. Um, and it wasn't like this. Uh, I don't know. Like it wasn't like a seventy-inch curved four K like OLED TV appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> Now, those didn't even exist at the time, although if one person did have it, it'd be God. And so I guess it, it just didn't happen that way. It wasn't that clear. Um, it wasn't, uh, I wasn't in a trance. Like it, was, it didn't feel like this overly spiritual experience. Like I was very lucid. It, just, it was a vision. And the best way I can describe it is that my mind's eye was just filled with this vision of a stadium filled with people. And I was on stage <laughs> leading worship. And that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at the time because... I could barely play guitar, and I still had yet to successfully play guitar and sing at the same time. But in that moment, this this overwhelming sense of peace and certainty just came over me, and I just knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I just knew. I'm not saying you need to have a vision to know. But what I am saying is, God's speaking to you. And that certainty will come, that peace will come. I can promise you that. But now that's, that was cool. Now, oh great, now I know what I'm supposed to do. But but now I have new doubts. How am I gonna get good enough to lead a stadium filled with people in worship? I can't even lead myself in worship right now. And even if and even if I do get good enough, you know, God, God, if God helps me. How am I even going to get that opportunity? Because like they don't, you don't just like waltz up on stage and say, "I'm good enough." Like they actually really organize those things, they really do. And and I didn't know this. I, you know, I was I was only seventh or eighth grade, so I didn't really even know this. But just like they have to be more organized than I'm, you know, picturing just going up there. No, it won't work that way. And but I decided I couldn't worry about that. And and. I knew that I could just had to focus on the opportunities that were right in front of me and I knew that I needed to get better and so that's what I tried to do. I doubted that I had a, that I had a calling at all before, but now I had one. The doubt that I had before turned out to be just that, doubt. That doubt was not truth. So over the next 12 years, 13 years, I would get all kinds of experience leading worship at different churches, different denominations, youth ministries, student ministries, kids ministries, church camps, conferences, worship nights, you name it. I I did it. Big, small. Even a couple director roles. Thankfully, I had a couple director roles before I was the director here. The first time I had a director role I was freaking out because it looked like magic to me watching other people do it. I was fine just playing guitar and singing and somebody else can be in charge and lead the team and have responsibility, you know. And the most nerve wracking part was I didn't ask for that. That wasn't clear to me in the vision. I just thought I was, somebody else was going to take care of all the, the hard stuff, right? I hadn't asked for that, and so it felt like I was losing control of my vision that God gave me. I felt like I was losing control, and none of us, raise your hand if you like losing control. Yeah, that's what I thought. Nobody does. And it was my vision, and I was losing control of it. No, I don't want that. But I just just had to keep going. I had to keep trying to get better and and so, three roles later, I'm the worship director at this church. Something I didn't ask for, he's given me four times now. Something I didn't think I could do, he's given me four times now. So the doubt that I had before turned out to be just that. Doubt. That doubt was not... Okay. The doubt was not truth. In fact, You guys will love this one. The the last director role I had, I joined a campus ministry at Bradley my sophomore year, and it was starting to shrink a little bit, but there were still, you know, 50, 60 kids coming. By the time I graduated, I was director junior and senior year. By the time I graduated, it was dead. And you better believe, you better believe that Satan used that one. That was an easy one. Because he said, hey, are you sure you can lead a ministry? This one died on your watch. And I said, God, what, this is my third time doing this. I know how to do this. What happened to third time is the charm. Come on, this is supposed to be the best one. And it was the worst one. I'm so glad he gave me a fourth chance. I'm so glad that he doesn't give up on you. Even when you are so quick to give up on him, when you're so quick to doubt him, He'll give you another chance, and a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance. Shortly after that, I started leading worship at Elevate. I had a great time there, but there were doubts there, too. Man, this is really starting to... <sighs> I had a great time there, too, but their doubts were even worse because I had spent the first nine years of my life leading worship, my journey leading worship, playing acoustic guitar and singing. But they didn't need that role to be filled when I joined. And so for the next two-ish years, I didn't do that. I was asked to be a background vocalist and just sing with a mic, no instrument. That was cool. (laughs) And then one time I was asked to learn bass in four days, and it didn't go well. (laughs) But eventually I learned how to play it. And look and here and here it's it's funny now but like here's the thing guys like I was so doubting I felt like I had taken steps back away like from that vision that God had for me. And I didn't have a problem with filling those support roles if you want to call them that because they're super important in fact I love playing bass now and and if I need to do background vocals eventually. I would love to do that. I love doing those other things. It's just that it didn't look like the vision that God had given me, and, I, and I, was, I knew that I was good enough to do what I had been doing for nine years, but they didn't need it, and so I wasn't even mad at the people that were telling me to do these other things. It was just like, God, what's going on? For two years, I felt stuck, and I didn't see any way to get back on track to the vision that God had given me. But that two-year period was huge for me. I learned several different roles in the band. I got to witness a great worship director, Gary, just lead a band so well and I got to see how, how an excellent band functions. And I, my, my, my ear for music got more sensitive and I learned so many different things. I, I took more Leaps and bounds in growth as a musician and a worship leader in those two years than I ever have before in my life. Doing nothing but non worship leader roles. That doubt I had before turned out to be just that doubt. Shortly after I became worship director at this church, it felt like the minute after I became worship director at this church, um, (laughs) sorry, Heather asked me, hey, what if you, why don't you join the teaching team and start preaching? And, uh, oh man, hurricane, here we go. Um, And I said, oh, okay, yeah. Doubt, like immediately. because i always because i always looked at those people up on stage preaching and thought there's no way i could do that it looks like magic also once again i hadn't asked god for that didn't really line up with the vision so he keeps just giving me things that I don't ask for um, that I don't think I can do. And I think you know where this is going because I'm standing up here today. That doubt I had before turned out to be just that, doubt. As far as leading worship for a stadium filled with people, it hasn't happened yet. But I, I've never had a more clear line of sight to that vision than I do today and I'm, in this, I'm involved with the smallest church I've ever been involved with in my life and I'm not worried about it one bit. Not worried about it. You see, on February 26th of this year, I got to lead worship on the ice in Carver Arena after a Riverman game. That's a stadium. Now, by the time I started playing, there was only about 50 people <laughs> in the stadium. But when I was down on the ice, I couldn't help but look around at all the empty seats and imagine them filled with people. And then my thoughts went to all the people that I'd ever led in worship over the last 12, 13 years. Big events, small events. If you add them all up, they would fill Carver Arena many times over. And I'm not saying that counts, because it doesn't. (laughs) I will be leading worship many times for a stadium filled with people, God willing, in the future. But in that moment, as I was kind of, I was never closer to my vision than I was in that moment. Got a little taste of it. In that moment, I knew two things. I knew I could do it and I knew that I was ready. If there's one thing I want you to walk away from this sermon with today, it's that the doubt that you're struggling with is going to probably turn out to be just that. Doubt. Doubt is not truth. So that's kind of what I've gone through, but what does the Bible say? Because you can take my word for it and that's fine, but the Bible is a little bit more trustworthy than one data point. So Let's go back to the beginning of my story. I doubted that I had a calling. Some of you doubt that you have a calling and nothing could be further from the truth. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me. This is Jesus talking. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Every single one of us, no matter what it looks like, are called to produce lasting fruit. What does that mean? A legacy. Not a statue outside of United Center, although that would be cool. A legacy. Impact. Lives, souls for the kingdom long after you're gone. Lasting fruit. What about 1 Peter 2.9? But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people for his possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That sounds like a pretty significant calling on your life. Royal priesthood, holy nation. Some of you doubt. Your doubt sounds a little bit like this. Oh, man, only... I'm just getting thirsty. Only fully equipped... Talented people are ready to pursue their calling. Also not true. I wasn't ready. I I couldn't play guitar in seventh grade and any of the years before. I couldn't sing. 1 Corinthians one do Don't take my word for it. 1 Corinthians one twenty-six. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. You might think that you have nothing to offer and that's just fine because I didn't have a whole lot to offer. Uh, But God's cool with that because he can handle it. He spoke the universe into existence. He just spoke. He didn't use anything else. Nothing is just fine for him. He can work with that. And I tell you this, you definitely don't have nothing. You definitely don't have nothing. If he can handle nothing, he can definitely handle you. Number three, maybe you've been pursuing your calling for a while, but some things have happened, and now you feel like you're stuck or you're taking a few steps back. I love what Paul says in Philippians 4 For I have learned to be content with whatever I have, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. See, I went through that two-year period where I was battling doubt and discontentment. God, what are you doing? I'm losing ground. You might be in that same place. But... I stubbornly and slowly, and I emphasize both of those words, learn to be content. Paul said it right there, the secret to living in every situation. I have learned to be content. It's a learned habit. It's a learned behavior. We need to be content with progress. Even if that progress doesn't look or feel like you think that progress should look or feel. Stephen Furtick says that progress is effort in the right direction, and I love that. When I think back to that two-year period, I was always going in the right direction. I didn't think I was for a little while, but gosh, I was, I was on stage involved with the band, learning, growing, like nine out of ten weekends, Okay. Looking back on it now, yeah, I was going in the right direction. I definitely wasn't going backwards. I was learning and growing. And I was definitely giving it a whole lot of effort. That was progress. We need to be content with progress. Seriously, you guys, progress is all we need. You're being so hard on yourselves. I'm here. My vision is way over there and somehow I can't teleport there. <laughs> You're always going to be unhappy. You'll never be satisfied. And quite honestly, you'll never get there with that attitude. Number four. Maybe you doubt the significance of your calling. John fourteen twelve says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Now really quick, you're not going to die and raise yourself from the dead in your own power. So you're you're not going to pull that off. You're not going to do greater earthly miracles than what Jesus did. Those miracles were amazing and thousands of people believed as a result. But when Jesus left this planet, and went to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to that little fledgling group of believers that became the church. And now you're a part of that church. And the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is still taking his word to the ends of the earth so that billions of people will be in heaven as a result. That is the greater work than what Jesus did. That is a greater impact than anything he did on this planet when he was here. Your calling matters, and you're called, you're not just called to something, you're called to greatness, and it's time to walk in that greatness. I'm not talking about fame, because fame and greatness are not the same thing. We do everything for his fame, and whatever you do, be great, regardless of how many people notice. Number five, last one. Maybe you've been walking in your calling for a while, but life has happened, things have changed, and you just, you're tired, and you just don't feel like you can do it anymore, or at the very least, you're not as effective as you were in the past. You have thoughts, or even you say things like, man, before I was married, I had so much more time, I had so much more money, and, or before I, we had kids, remember that time we, before we had kids, and we just had all this freedom, and, and, and now I have this job, and the kids, and Extracurriculars, and we just can't do it anymore. Those were the days, weren't they? You know, before. We've got to stop saying those were the days, guys. Psalm 118, 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Not those days. We're going to be glad in this day, today. Today is the day. These are the days. Now is the time when you, you're called to something and it's right in front of you. It's in front of you, not back. You can start right now. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much talent you think you have. God can work with that. You start right now. It doesn't matter what's happened up to this point. You start right now. You might have, sorry, this is, God... You might have an anthill of doubt. Some of you, you've just been carrying it and carrying it and carrying it and it's piling up and piling up and piling up. You might have an anthill of doubt. You might have a Mount Everest of doubt. In both cases, they belong in the same place, in the rearview mirror. Oh sure, sometimes we need to look up in the mirror and remember and learn from our past failures. Celebrate past victories. Be thankful for the faithfulness of God taking us through all that. But we're called to move forward. So we need to be facing forward. Because new doubts are going to come with every single season, you guys. So you can't afford to carry the weight of these doubts from 10 years ago and five years ago and today and tomorrow all at the same time. You're not going to make it. You can't afford to carry all that weight. So what are we supposed to do? Hebrews 12.1 Therefore since we are surrounded by so great A cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us what do we got to do guys we have to lay him down we have to lay him down oh sure i can still walk in my lane i can still run in my lane I can still pursue my calling, carrying that weight. But Hebrews 12:1 says I have to lay him down, because I, gotta have, I have a race of, en, of endurance that I have to run. I'm going to wear out real quickly carrying all that. Doesn't mean I can't carry it. I can. but I'm going to wear out really quickly. I'm not going to be able to run very far. I was still able to preach today, wasn't I? Carrying all that weight? but I wasn't able to deliver the message the way that I really wanted to. I'm tired. You're called to greatness whether you believe it or not. And you cannot reach that greatness carrying all that weight, even trying to carry all that weight. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that today is a good day. Today is a good day because today is an opportunity, just like every other day from here on out, to lay down some of the weight of your doubt. It will be a process. It's not it's not easy. It's a simple task, but it's hard to do. Sometimes you'll get rid of, you'll be able to lay down a small weight. Sometimes it'll be a larger weight. It doesn't matter. Because any day that you can find a way to lay down some, just some of that weight, it's a good day. It's a good day. Let's pray. Jesus, Where would we be without you? God, we sit here today as your children. In some cases, completely disabled by the doubts that we've gathered up and decided to keep around over the years. And they're holding us back But we say today that we're going to change our minds. We're going to change our perspective. We're going to change our approach. It's not going to be easy. We know that. We're going to fight. But, God, we're going to every single day, we're going to ask you to help us lay down some of the weight of our doubt so that we can run in our lane That endurance, that race of endurance that you have called us to. And every single step of the way, we know new doubts are going to come and we're going to take them on and we're going to process them and we're going to pray about them and we're going to wrestle with them and we're going to lay those aside and keep going. And as we do that, no matter what we do, we're going to make sure that we tell people of your great love and faithfulness. We're going we're to let it echo all throughout this city. Everywhere we go, to the ends of the earth. We're going to let them know that our God reigns and he loves us And no matter what doubts we have, he can take care of every single one of them. So God, may today be a starting point for something greater, to walk towards that call to greatness. And may we lay aside the weight of our doubt. Maybe it's a small weight, maybe it's a big weight. But today, we're going to start laying aside the weight of our doubt. In Jesus' name. Amen.